Well, good morning again. All right, we, okay, I need a, I, sorry, I, good morning. There we go. I like to feel like sermons are a little bit more of a dialogue than simply me just talking at you, you know, because that's boring. So, all right, we are in week 11 now of our Lifestyle of Jesus series. Uh, navigating our way through the Gospel of Luke and exploring the ways that Jesus lived his life and encouraged his disciples to do the same. So how he lived and and the the disciplines and the habits that he incorporated, how that might be inspiration for us to do the same. So in other words, how do we live or how do we see Jesus living his life and how might that be us inspiration for us to do the same and to follow his pattern for living? Why does this matter for us? Well, because as Eugene Peterson once said, in this kingdom of God world, the person that we follow is the primary shaping influence on the person that we become. And he says this, Christians follow Jesus. We follow Jesus because we want him to be, he he must be, he has to be the primary shaping influence on our lives on who we are and who we become. We model ourselves after him. We seek to look like him. You know, we talk a lot about mentorship, role models, people that are influential in our lives, which is all good and necessary. But we cannot forget that of anyone who should have an impact on who we are and on who we become, it should be Jesus. And when we look at his life, we notice things like he... He always took time, necessary time, to be in prayer with the Father. He lived sustainably within limitations. He never seemed to be in a rush. How on earth did he do that? He was, he was always a joy to be around. He, he had time for people, and particularly, as we'll see today, for children. So it's been important for us to explore this because Jesus doesn't simply call us to follow what he says. You know, many parents, including my own, used this phrase when growing up, do as I say, not as I do. Does that sound familiar? But here, Jesus is actually inviting us to do as he does. To imitate him and to imitate his practices because he's showing us the true way to live. So we're looking today at just a few verses in Luke chapter 18. So if you've brought a Bible with you, or if you want to grab one of those pew Bibles, the verses will also be up on the screen. We're looking at Luke chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. And I'll just give a a few moments of silence here for you to turn to the right page so I don't start reading (laughs) and you're still turning. Luke chapter 18, verses 15 to 17. The subtitle there is The Little Children and Jesus. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus said, but Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Who's that? Okay. Familiar story. We heard Liz, Pastor Liz, sharing it with the children earlier. We have a situation here that isn't really anything out of the ordinary. Okay? So oftentimes parents, uh, particularly mothers, as was the custom, would bring their children to some distinguished rabbi on the child's first birthday or on a special occasion so that they could be blessed. 
rabbis blessing children was, was a fairly standard thing to do. So why then do the disciples get so amped up about it? You know, because they're not just sort of shooing these, these mothers and, and parents away and children away, nor are they gently explaining to them that their master doesn't have time for this kind of stuff. They are actually rebuking them. Verse 15 says that when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. Rebuked them. In other words, these disciples are in no mood whatsoever to deal with crying children. They're on an important mission. See, because according to chapter 17, Jesus, by this point, is on his way to Jerusalem. They're, things are about to get messy, right? The, the, the disciples have been seeing the tension in Jesus' face. They know that something's coming up. They're prepared to fight for him, for whatever they think is going to happen. But they know that there's something going on. There's, there's, they don't know what they're going to get into, but everyone's just a little bit on edge. The last thing they want right now is a bunch of kids hanging around their master, you know, waiting in line like families at Christmas time for a photo with Santa, right? Like, that's just not what they're looking for right now. Their master, who's, you know, the future king of Israel in their minds, doesn't have time for this. And I get it, right? We, we often say to children, you know, right now is just not a good time. Hey, can, can you just go, you know, go and do your own thing right now? Can you talk to me later? Right now I'm a little busy. Or, you know, don't, don't bother dad. He just came home from work, right? I remember my mother, when I grow, growing up, my mom very wisely would counsel me on when the best time was to approach my dad if I wanted something from him, right, in order to get the best response. And, and right when he came home from work and was just about to sit down for dinner was not the best time. See, as, as adults... When our minds get stressed and, we're, and we've, we're focused on way too many things and consumed with all sorts of other things, children have the capacity to be somewhat bothersome. And for these disciples, it was even more so. Because in ancient society, children had zero status, right? They, they were hardly human. You had to train up a child so that they, they could become something valuable to society. They had to become something valuable to society. At this point, they were no benefit to Jesus. So, on the one hand, their intentions are good because they care for their Lord and teacher and they, they don't want him to be bothered. You know, it's a fact, says Leon Morris, that few of the world's great religious teachers have been greatly concerned with children. It makes sense. They just have far more important things to do. However, he adds, Jesus is different. Because on the other hand, the disciples are failing to grasp what Jesus is doing, what his mission really is, and that's showing them the truths and the realities of his kingdom, which looks different than the other kingdoms of the world. Verse 16, Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me. Let them come and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God, here's the truth, the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. The kingdom of God belongs to those who are or are like little children. See, Jesus didn't see kids as a bother ever. He called them to himself. He welcomed them to himself. He identified them as not only important to the kingdom, but essential to understanding what the kingdom is about. Will Barclay notes that it's one of the loveliest things in all of the gospel narratives that Jesus, while he's on his way to Jerusalem to die, takes time out for children. 
Why is that such a lovely thing? Because it's completely unexpected. It's, right? It's, it's not what we're used to. It's not usual for big-name speakers and celebrities and distinguished teachers to pay any attention to the little people. Right? Because those little people don't do anything to further their reputation. They don't do anything for them to make them a bigger name. But Jesus here isn't vying for more followers. He's not trying to prove a point or to make his name bigger. He's trying to demonstrate a reality of the kingdom. He points to these children and he says, the kingdom belongs to such as these. What is it about children that allows them to see the kingdom better than we grown-ups? You know, who think we're all mature and sophisticated and progressed in life. What's Jesus getting at? You know, we speak often about having a childlike faith, but what does that really mean? Well, there's a number of things that could be mentioned, but I'm just going to point out briefly two significant characteristics of children that I think make them role models to us for receiving the kingdom. Okay? So first, children demonstrate wholehearted trust in the people who are caring for them. Right? They have to. They have to depend on those people. As Andrew Root points out, everything for a child is built on relationship with others. They have to depend on others. And that doesn't bother them. You know, we think that growing up you get all independent and that's a good thing. But no, there's something about being dependent on relationships. In other words, they know, they know that they need others, that they are dependent on others, and it doesn't phase them in the least. So there's this sort of helplessness, right? There's a humility, a trust in others to love and to care for them. Sure, later on there will come a time when, you know, their minds develop and they start asking questions and there's curiosity, but for many of their early years, children simply receive, right? You, you know, you give them a cookie and they don't question, is this a real cookie? Or, you know, should I give my allegiance to a different kind of cookie? Or like, will this cookie benefit me in the long run? They, they, they just receive it as a gift, right? They don't question those things. That's what Jesus wants his disciples to have, right? This unhindered trust so that they can simply receive expectant trust and a helpless humility before God. Secondly, children, this is kind of neat, children just have not lost their sense of wonder. Barclay points out that as we grow older, you know, we, we live, we increasingly live in a world that, that grows old and uninteresting, right? We, we know what to expect, We've heard it all before. Nothing really ceases to engage us or excite us in the same way. But a child sees the world with wonder, right? Everything is new to them. They're constantly exploring, constantly wanting to learn. I remember my sister-in-law telling me that uh, her daughters have helped her to see the world again, especially my eldest niece who is just incessantly asking questions, right? Why is the sky blue? Uh... I don't know, Google, <laughs> help me. <laughs> Trying to remember, you know, grade 11 science class, right? And, and it's allowed my sister-in-law to regain a joy for the world, a wonder for the world. When we see the world in this way, God is always near to us, right? Because as Psalm 19 puts it, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Creation draws us to God. And when we have a wonder of creation, we grow closer to him. Creation just shouts his glory. And children remind us 
that that curiosity and that wondering, that wonder are, are the scaffolding of our faith and actually draw us into deeper delight of God. Vibrant joy and curiosity often comes to the church through children, right? So they're worth paying attention to. These two characteristics are, are just a couple of reasons, okay, for why Jesus lifts up and puts on display the beauty of children. And he tells his disciples in verse 17, Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Now notice there that the focus, the emphasis there is not on entering, but on receiving. Right? The inclination for us is always to, to wonder about how do we enter the kingdom of God, right? How do I get in? What do I have to do to get there? It's what religious systems are all about. What, what do I have to do to get eternal life? What do I have to do to inherit that, to make it in, to receive that final reward? But here, Jesus flips that whole system of thought completely on its head by putting the emphasis on receiving the kingdom not entering it, which is key to understanding the kingdom of God. You don't enter it without having received it. Which is why directly after this passage, it's, it's completely in contrast to it. A rich young ruler who has many possessions comes up to Jesus asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's in it's completely flipped to what Jesus has just implied, right? It's the complete opposite. The man comes up to Jesus confident that he's done everything that he's supposed to do to get into the kingdom, right? He's coming up to him confidently expecting Jesus to say, you done it, guy. You checked off all the boxes. Don't worry about it. You're good. But he finds out that he actually can't enter the kingdom of God because entering requires receiving and he cannot receive when he's tied to all this other stuff. When he's not willing to give up his own earthly kingdom. When he's not willing to learn dependence and to learn how to depend on someone else, to learn a whole new way of being, right? It's all about him and what he's achieved and what he's done and if that's good enough to get in. But as a result, he's completely missing Jesus. That's why when he walks away, Jesus looks at him and he's sad. In Mark 9, Jesus tells the disciples, that children actually show the way to him. That's what's so upsetting about it, right? Verse 37, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, right? If life is all about this other stuff, you don't just miss the kingdom, you miss Jesus. When you welcome a little child, the simplicity of that, you're actually welcoming me. Receiving the kingdom means receiving the king, and we welcome the king when we welcome a child. Because when we welcome a child, we taste something of the kingdom, right? It's all connected. There's a scene in, in the Chosen TV series, I don't know if some of you have been able to watch it, but in the first season, Jesus and his disciples are at the wedding in Cana. And the disciples are, you know, chatting and having a good time. It's a wedding. Um, but they're chatting about their new master and just how different he is and what they don't know, you know, to expect. But suddenly they realize that he's not with them. And so they're looking around wondering where he is. And the camera then pans over the crowd and lands on this joy-filled Jesus sitting at this little table playing games and cracking jokes with the kids. 
right? He's not off in the corner with the other rabbis having sophisticated conversations. He's, he's playing some dice game with the kids. There's a whole episode actually dedicated to just seeing Jesus' interactions with children. Why is such an emphasis so important? Well, because for Jesus, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, the child is not merely a transitional stage on the way to adulthood, as if you need to be a child to get to this point in life. No, indeed, God is closer to children than to adults. And if God is closer to children, coming closer to children then enables us to grow closer to God and thus to be more like Christ. How? I want to I leave you today with three ways, three ways that we can embrace children in the way that Jesus did. And it allows us to become more like him in the process and draw closer to God. First, children remind us that there is a present moment to be paying attention to. Andrew Root says this, children gather time. By carrying them, we're moved deeply into the now. You know, it is so easy for us to see children as just numbers on a page, right? Little people that will one day do big things for, for society, for the church, for the world. To exist, you know, always thinking in the future. They're just resources for what's ahead. That's our vision of the good life projected onto them. Right? Oh, one day you'll do big things. One day, oh, I'll put you in piano lessons and soccer and volleyball and, and all these school activities so that one day you can be well-rounded. You can be this renaissance individual, right? We, we keep projecting future things onto them. We always exist in the future, what's coming up, what we have to prepare for, what I, what I should expect, what I should hope to see happen. But children help us to resonate, to resonate with the current moment with what's happening right now, to embrace life now, to receive God's goodness now, which is something that Jesus was always pointing towards. Because secondly, as I mentioned earlier, a child's whole existence revolves around relationship and depending on those relationships, which is how Christ has called us to live with one another. To receive the kingdom, to, to receive and to welcome Jesus... We must humbly and dependently receive relationships like the children around us. You know, rather than living constantly our private independent lives, we, we, can, we can be transformed to see the kingdom more clearly when we understand like children do that we are bound to one another. We are bound to others. There's a Ubuntu phrase that I learned years ago in Kenya, and it says this, I am because you are. I am because you are. That's fundamentally how a child understands themselves. I am because of who I have around me. And it's difficult, of course, you know, when, when speaking about this, to not think about our current context, right? This, this mentality is actually something that our First Nations neighbors understand probably better than we do. And why the, the ongoing discovery of children's unmarked graves is so devastating and so difficult to grapple with. Because when harm is done to a child, the whole community feels it. Those relationships are, are never gone. When, when a child is lost, it's not just the family who feels the heartache, it's the whole community. When one suffers, the other suffers. They're, they're all intricately connected to one another. It's how they live. 
And in a world where, where children are still seen as subhuman, used as commodities, abused and neglected, treated as ignorant or less than, Jesus' words to his disciples in this passage still ring true today. When you welcome them, you welcome me, he says. And he had some pretty fierce words for those who would dare to cause a little one to stumble. Because thirdly, again, by welcoming them and being in relationship with them, we come to understand on a deeper level the very heartbeat of God. Isaiah 49 says this, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. From the very beginning, the way that God wanted to relate to his people was, a, was as a parent to their child. God's heart beats for his people just like a mother's does for her newborn. So when Jesus calls the children to himself, it's because he too cannot forget them. They're engraved on the palms of his hands and he can't forget them any more than a mother can forget the child she's just given birth to. That's his heart. A father's heart. It's why as his followers, we aren't simply called disciples. We're called children. 1 John 3 verse 1, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Not only are we called to receive the kingdom like a child, we are that child. We are children. It's who we are and that's God's heart for us. So in closing then, I want to say, who better to look to for mentorship then on how to receive the kingdom than to children? I mean, we noticed it even just in the story time this morning. The one question that every kid knew right away is, does Jesus love you? Right? And just to clarify, I do want to clarify if this wasn't already obvious, because of course Jesus didn't have children. You don't need to have your own children to do this. Right? As I've mentioned numerous times before, we are all spiritual mothers and fathers, uncles and aunts, brothers and sisters, godparents, godfathers, godmothers, to the children in this con congregation and in our own lives. What we do and what we say to them, how we receive those children matters. And it matters so much to the parents who are in this congregation with little children that they have that many uncles and aunts looking over them, speaking into their lives and loving them and caring for them. Jesus always seemed to make space for children. And I think we should too. I think that's our task as well, because they have a lot to teach us. Because in God's kingdom, it's less about what we do for them and more about what we actually receive from them. Peterson said this, in the community of the baptized, there is no one, absolutely no one, who is not involved in this priestly leading and being led for, 
He quotes from Isaiah, even a little child shall lead them. Children are priests in God's kingdom. And they show us how to receive it with curiosity, with wonder, and with beautiful simplicity. Part of the beauty, again, of of having Pastor Liz sharing stories with us in the services here on Sunday mornings is that we can hear these stories afresh, right? We can see Jesus anew through the eyes of children and through the lens of simplicity. And it makes me think, actually, that, you know, for Jesus to spend time with people who just simply received what he said without questioning everything and misunderstanding him and complicating it and making it all about them must have been actually kind of refreshing, right? Again, when, when we receive and welcome children as Jesus did, we receive and we welcome Jesus himself. Only then can we really see the reality of the kingdom that Jesus is trying to push here. What we see him doing here is actually similar to what we see Jacob, the patriarch, the the father of Israel, doing in Genesis 48. When he takes the children of his son Joseph, who are, you know, mixed with, with Egyptian blood now, but he brings them up onto his knee and he places his hands on them and he blesses them. And in that culture, that was a symbol of adoption. That was a symbol of of ownership. These children have been received into the family. That is what Christ has done for us. We, through grace, are carried in the arms of Jesus and have been adopted into the family of God as children, as brothers and sisters, co-heirs with Christ in the family of our Heavenly Father. So as beloved children of God, may we seek to live into that identity as Jesus did and to embrace the little ones around us who show us better than anyone how to actually receive it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Living God, your, your word never ceases to humble us. Even more so today, Lord, as we read about the need to receive your kingdom like a child, Lord. Oh, my, do we overcomplicate things sometimes. How often we make it about ourselves. How often we make it about what we do for you rather than what you've done for us. May your Holy Spirit, Lord, inspire us to receive your kingdom, to receive you like a little child, to remember that we are already embraced by you, and that everything we do is out of response to what you've done for us. May this truth, Lord, guide our every day, And may we seek to be a shining light, to love on, to welcome and to embrace all the children that we come in contact with. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. 
You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com. 